0: This time on Poll Hub, the title of an article in The Atlantic sums up our first segment pretty well. Everything is terrible, but I'm fine. Why does public opinion sometimes diverge so far from established facts? Well, Joe Biden seemed to base his State of the Union on that premise, so we're taking a look. Then, the Census Bureau is already planning for the 2030 count and is considering adding a bunch of new questions that could have the effect of making America look more multiracial and more multi-ethnic. In other words, making the count more accurate. And Pierre's Hansi Luong joins us to explain the proposed changes and what they could mean for everybody, including pollsters. And we end with a critical question. Are you team Valentine's Day or team Super Bowl? Lee can't quite fathom my answer. Gotta stick around for that one. Let's get to it. And hi everybody, welcome to Poll Hub. I'm Jenny Dapper.
1: I'm Barbara Carvalho. I'm Mary Griffith.
0: And I am Lee Marigov. Oh. And uh, we start today with a topic that's kind of near and dear to my heart. And thanks, uh, very special thanks uh, this week to Athen and Eve on our student team who uh, helped put this segment together. But um, I, it's always bothered me as a political reporter and then working here at the poll when when public opinion seems to diverge so far away from data or facts. And it's not a new thing, as we'll discover. Uh, but it is something that has has really come to uh, attention and prominence in the last few days as a couple of polls regarding politics in this country um, have sparked headlines along the lines of, why is everybody so down about this when everything's so good You know, in the data? And here's what we mean. A new poll from uh, Washington Post, ABC News, uh, that shows 39% of Americans believe that President Biden has accomplished little or nothing during his presidency, 36%. Similar numbers say he's done a great deal or a good amount. I mean, demonstrably, historians are going to say that the first two years of his term have been about as impactful as any first two years of any president's term. You might not like what he did, but there's kind of no discussion to have about whether a lot was accomplished. Another thing, 34% of Americans, only 30% in that poll, believe that Biden has created good jobs. But the economic data belies this. The unemployment rate was the lowest since 1969 uh, last month at 3.4. percent The GDP grew in the fourth quarter of 2022, which is the most recent stats we have, at 2.9%. And the latest median household income data shows that inflation-adjusted income is at the highest level in this century at 79,400. So how come Americans think the economy is bad? And how come they don't think Joe Biden has done anything? Okay, so... I'll get off my soapbox. What is behind this? You, Lee, are a you know, political science expert. Barb, you know more about public opinion than practically anybody. Why is there this dissonance between what people think and what the facts are about these things?
2: Well, I would just say that it's not necessarily new that this is occurring. I think it's gotten a lot worse now that people don't have uh, similar sources of information, and we all sort of get our information through a very different mode of communication, uh, and that's certainly new. Um, so we now have the presence of alternative facts uh, in our uh, in our uh, uh, vocabulary and, and how we approach things, um, and then you have two sides of a country fairly evenly divided uh, with each side very, very, very much opposed to the perception and the viewpoint of the other side. So what's up for one is down for the other and what's half full for one is uh, half empty for the other. Um, we're in a very different situation right now than when the entire population of the world thought the, the world was flat. Uh, and then it took a long time to get past that. Uh, and we've sort of learned and almost we have uniformity now uh, that the world is in fact not flat um, but we are getting that when it comes to Are we calm, really sure man. of that? I'm not sure. <laughs> are, <laughs> are we, we really sure? <laughs> but
0: Barb, he points out this isn't new.
1: Yeah, it's it's not new. And and also um I think that's part of the story. I think that's uh, you know, one piece of it. Certainly we do have um, you know, different windows into what is going on, but I don't think we can discount personal experience. Things are not easy. Uh, I think last night um, uh, we're we're, we're, uh, recording this uh, on on Wednesday, the the night after the the State of the Union, and the president even mentioned, you know, you don't necessarily know I've done these things because some of them haven't taken effect. Um, And I think the same thing can be said for the economy. Um, Yes, the numbers are getting better. Yes, the numbers are actually good. Um, but I think it takes a while before that sinks in and that experience is had by the majority uh, of people. We went through an incredibly inflationary period over the past year. Um, and yes, inflation has slowed, uh, and that's terrific, but stuff is still really expensive. Um, things have doubled. Uh, food prices are still exorbitant. Um, we can now get many items because the uh, supply chains are moving more smoothly, um, but it's, it still costs a lot of money. And although there have been improvements uh, and gains made in wages, it, it really didn't keep up. I mean, those, those gains that uh, many people saw over the summer last year uh, were quickly eaten up by uh, the exploding inflation on many items, and even though gasoline has stabilized, I would say stabilized, it hasn't. It hasn't come down uh, all that much, so things are still very expensive. Um, jobs, yes, are pretty, um, you know, pretty plentiful, uh, but you don't necessarily match the skills with the jobs, and there are many people that don't have that match and live in areas that don't have that match. So I think there's still a lot to be accomplished. Uh, the president said as much, in other words, that we still have much more to do. And I think he was imploring this new Congress to perhaps uh, to, to, take the, to take the reins of the previous Congress uh, that did find ways to, to compromise and move a lot of uh, policy and programs forward.
0: I would push back on one thing you said, which is is the, the people's uh, you know perceptions. Uh, in a, in the Federal Reserve polls, people and ask them how, what their own well being is, you know, how they feel about their own financial well being. From twenty seventeen to today, that number, the people saying that they their own financial well being is at least okay, has increased from seventy four to seventy eight percent. It's been a steady up up you know uh, uh, incline. Um, I think there's an interesting way to look at this that um, an author in The Atlantic, Derek Thompson, wrote about last summer. The title of the article kind of sums up this segment. Everything's terrible, but I'm fine. And his (laughs) point is that when you ask people how they're doing, they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine, but everything's terrible. Oh, the economy's terrible, but you're fine. That's the dissonance I'm getting at. And, and he, he you know relates that this has gone on for a long time. Uh, for instance, you know, Richard Nixon, when he was president in 1969, the economy was perceived to be terrible and the economy was actually pretty good at the same time that there was polling showing people perceiving to be the economy bad. George uh, Bush, the first one, would certainly love to have had public opinion catch up with how good the economy was doing in 92 when Bill Clinton went, right? So again, this isn't new. But I think Thompson gets at something here, which is people feel like things are okay for them, but they don't think things are good for the economy in general and and that's I guess
2: where I just don't entirely get it. yeah people have a sense of optimism too about the future sometimes that uh, that belies what their present condition is. So there's different ways of slicing this and I think that I was fascinated that Joe Biden in his State of the Union spent. The first half, at least, talking about folks. I've accomplished a whole bunch of stuff, and as Barb said, uh, it's not just that you don't even—you really, may not even know that we passed the stuff. <laughs> and you know, we're moving; things are getting better. And then he went with the laundry list of promises in the second half. Usually, it's all promises.
1: Well, I also think that uh, there is, uh, you know, a, a good deal of concern about a number of issues that yes, financially, um, I'm okay. But there's a sense that the economy isn't okay. And yes, you can you can look at the numbers, but then you look at a lot of the, you know, a lot of the messaging. You look at competitiveness. You look at um you look at education, you look at healthcare. Um you you may have healthcare, but you don't necessarily think that healthcare is um is 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 doing well. Um, in this country, you have a sense that there are a lot of inequities and imbalances, um, whether it's the care that you get or the care that you can afford so I think when people are asked particularly in survey questions, to give a general sense of how things are going they're they're thinking broader and beyond uh, perhaps their own pocketbooks at the time but i i still I still would would say that people people generally do feel like, although they may be uh, keeping up right now, that, it, that it's not easy to do that.
0: So, Before we move on to the, to the next segment, it, j- real quick, is this a fault of messaging the people who accomplish something like the Biden administration? Is it a fault of the media for highlighting, you know, uh, recession, recession? Is it the fault of the financial analysts? Because the media is just saying what all the financial analysts are saying, which is, we're supposed to have been in a recession a year ago. We still aren't there. Who, whose fault is this? Did you give me an all the above choice there? Yeah, okay, sure. And all of the above would be D, all of the above. You go with yeah. all of the above.
1: I well, yeah, think but, but hang on, but but hang on a second. I mean, I think I think that there is there is some lapse in leadership. I think one of the takeaways that we can um, that we can get from the from the Trump administration is that messaging does matter. And leadership in messaging really, really matters. Uh, And so that that was, you know, front and center for that administration to control the daily agenda. And that makes that makes an enormous difference. There's no question about that. But I think also historically, uh, uh, public opinion uh, is a bit ahead of the recession analysts. We generally tend to believe that there is a recession uh, sooner than the numbers will tell us. And and public opinion also lags uh, when uh, economic times get better, uh, because it does take a while for us all to acknowledge and to experience that those numbers are part of our everyday life.
2: And right now, we're all on different pages. Uh, and uh, I think we all believe to our core that if given the right information, accurate information, people will make the right decisions In our politics and our economics economics, in their own lives the trouble is right now we can't get on the same page as to what the correct information is because we're getting it from so many different sources and it's it it is difficult i think it has become difficult uh and i think the biden administration last night tried to get with the program uh and try to get their message at least close the messaging gap uh that you allude to and we'll see how that works
1: The U.S. decennial census is back in the news, and most Americans probably won't be giving it much thought for another seven years. But the Biden administration is proposing major changes to its forms and how we Americans uh, describe our demography. Uh, And the plans are that they will have these in place for the 2030 census. Uh, What this this all means and, and what changes we may expect we are joined by Hansi Lewong, NPR correspondent, and, as we like to say, affectionately, our census expert, uh, to help us decipher and figure out uh, what, what we can expect. Thanks for joining us, Hansi.:
3: Thank you for having me.:
1: So so, um, data equity, uh, what, what is it exactly, and why is there so much partisan wrangling uh, about it? and, you know really, why, why do we need it?
3: Well, data equity, as the Biden administration has talked about it, uh, is really focused on how there are certain uh, certain communities that uh, do not see themselves reflected in the way that federal government forms, including the census form, asks about race and ethnicity, and this isn't just about uh, you know capturing and asking about someone's identity in the data it's also about how that data is then used and in the absence of data or in the difficulty of finding certain communities within existing data it makes it very hard to make informed policy decisions, to guide health research, to figure out a fair distribution of local representation. Uh, sometimes we're talking about uh, federal funding and resources to certain communities. And so uh, a lot of what the Biden administration has been talking about is, is really picking up the conversation that uh, many advocates within certain communities have had about uh, making sure that uh, that the data reflects uh, as many communities as possible in order to help figure out what the needs are of a community.
1: Well, during the Trump administration, uh, we saw kind of a pause on all of this uh, that started. Um, well, it's been going on for quite some time, but I think there was an uh, additional efforts uh, to address these issues during the Obama administration and then a significant hiatus during the Trump administration and we actually said some, saw some some rolling back and certainly um the the interest in asking questions perhaps uh, for other purposes rather than uh, the ones that you cite so but one argument is that this does just divide us um and so um rather than just help us understand who we are as a country and uh, really um be able to determine the distribution of resources um, why why do you think that um you know what is the argument really for um not just the distribution of resources, but why are we just counting why why are we just counting people?
3: well the u s federal government um, uses data about race and ethnicity in order to enforce civil rights protections. It's also used uh, in order to help figure out the political representation uh, when we're thinking about enforcing the Voting Rights Act and whether the voting rights of and the political power of people of color uh, are being curtailed in any way in the way voting maps are drawn. Uh, That all requires data. And so uh, the way that the federal government has approached this is by creating different categories. Uh, racial and ethnic categories in order to uh, figure out and understand who makes up the U.S. population. And I think the other thing to keep in mind is that since the very first census, questions about race have been asked. Uh, there were categories, racial categories set up from the very first census back in 1790. And the way the census form has asked about race has changed every decade since then. And in some way, you could think of it as part of a reflection in some way of a national conversation about race, which a lot of time uh, is dominated by who is in power, who has power in the country, in the government, uh, has, gets to set that conversation. And in more recent decades, um, I think there's been certainly a lot more advocacy uh, by different community groups to be part of that conversation so that this data that not just the federal government relies on, but businesses, researchers, uh, also state and local governments around the country rely on this for planning purposes, that this data reflect the way people see themselves. And so that, again, the the country has a, a snapshot of who makes up the country and, and what their needs are.
2: Yeah, and don't don't overlook uh, pollsters. Uh use this data too to figure out uh, how our samples look and make them more representative. Um tell me specifically when I look at the twenty thirty census, what changes are am I gonna see from let's say the twenty twenty census? Uh, uh, in terms of categories, in terms of groups. Uh, um, obviously uh smaller groups are now gonna be more represented, and I assume the majority uh, white community may be lower as a result. But tell me what did some of the changes are that uh, that um, I'm, I, I might see come, going forward. I think we should be very clear. These are
3: proposals at this point. In fact, these are okay. an early set of proposals and they're okay, we're currently in a public comment period. And so the White House Office of Management and Budget is asking for public feedback uh, by April 12th about these proposals. And these are potential changes, not just to the census form, but to the federal standards on race, ethnicity data. So these are standards that the Census Bureau has to follow, as well as every other federal agency that Mm. asks about race and ethnicity on their forms. And so this is a a sweeping change. Certainly any change on the census influences uh, a lot of folks, but this is really a a change that is beyond uh, the, the Census Bureau and the 2030 census. Okay. The proposed changes, just to summarize it, because they do get very weedy, uh, and so you could you could look that up uh, yourself if you want to get into the very specific details. But basically, you may potentially see, as part of these proposals, two new checkboxes that didn't appear in 2020, one specifically for Hispanic or Latino, and another for Middle Eastern or North African, and they would appear alongside boxes for Other racial ethnic categories, including uh, Asian, uh, Pacific Islander, uh, as well as American Indian, Alaska Native, white, black, and they would all be under a combined question that asks about race or ethnicity. This would be a change from 2020, as well as earlier forms, where there were separate questions, really. uh, First question asking whether a person is of Hispanic or uh, Latino origin. And then the Mm -hmm. second question asking, what is your race? Those two questions Mm -hmm. would be combined in this this proposal. Uh, There are also proposals to require more federal agencies as part of that question to ask for more detailed responses beyond those uh, major categories I just listed. Uh, For example, um, maybe asking for details of whether someone is Jamaican, Chinese, German, uh, descent, uh, those would kind of be additional prompts asking for that detailed information. Um, and, and that really is continuing, potentially continuing a trend that you saw um, in, in uh, continuing something that you saw in 2020, where there were boxes um, and also a prompt asking, for example, what a person's non Hispanic white origins are or their black origins are. Uh, so that wouldn't necessarily be something completely new, but certainly be asking more federal agencies to do
2: that if this proposal were to be approved. To the folks at the Census, uh, uh, feel that um, they've gotten to return back to their expertise and some of the politics of what was going on in the last few years has been a little bit put on a back burner, and you're back. You now can focus on the work at hand. I would say you have to talk to
3: them, um, but but certainly I think what we see right now is that these are proposals that are very similar to the recommendations that the Census Bureau made uh, back around after the a 2015 uh, report came out, or excuse me, back at uh, around 2015, there was a, a major research project undertaken by the Census Bureau to figure out what would be an ideal way to ask about race and ethnicity. And the proposals I just described are very similar uh, to to what the Census Bureau had proposed to the White House Office Management and Budget at the time. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, that review process was stalled during former President Donald Trump's administration. And so a lot of that work that Census Bureau researchers did really got put in a drawer in a way. And Mm -hmm. uh, there was expectations that that research would have been potentially implemented in time for the 2020 census. Uh, that did not happen. And uh, what we're seeing now is an opportunity to see this research potentially uh, come to light and, and be enacted upon by 2030.
1: Yeah, it's been a long time since the uh, standards and the, the language of the standards has uh, has been changed. How might this uh, really impact, you know, regular folks, <laughs> the uh, Average people. I mean, I know how it's going to affect me as a as a pollster, um, and I think that it's a you know it's a very it's a very po- it will be a very positive change because it has always been difficult to discern uh, particular groups uh, who are very diverse, um, and that lack of diversity has always been difficult uh, for us to understand how uh, representative uh, our samples are. But uh, if we if we drill down to folks that don't actually use census data. On a daily basis, Um, how is this going to impact them?
3: Well, there are folks who are asked to fill out forms whenever uh, they're interacting, maybe with the federal government agency like the Census Bureau, or maybe they're going to the doctor's office. These standards set by the federal government are very influential, even though it's just the federal agencies that collect this race, ethnicity, racial and ethnic data that's required to to follow them. They really set a standard standard that uh, a lot of researchers, uh, a lot of state and local governments also follow uh, in order for them to, to really be able to interact uh, really with federal data. So we may see, you know, you go to the doctor's office, for example, you're asked to, about your racial or ethnic identity. Uh, a lot of folks have had a really tough time answering those questions if they identify as Latino or Middle, East of Middle Eastern or North African descent, because there is no box to identify that you are Middle Eastern or North African descent. That's currently under the f- current standards uh, that would be categorized by the U.S. federal government as white. And for folks who identify as Latino, because the U.S. federal government considers Latino identity as an ethnicity and not a race, so an ethnicity that could be of any race, there is a question oftentimes Uh, for example, on federal forms where someone would identify themselves uh, to be of Hispanic or Latino descent and then be asked a separate question about race. And for some Latinos, it is very hard to pick a box. Um, And so this would potentially address uh, this very difficult experience that a lot of folks have when filling out these forms. And, you know, you mentioned that it is a very long time it's been a very long time since these standards have been updated. I, I just think it's worth noting that the last time these standards were updated were in 1997, which yeah. is now a quarter of a century ago.
2: Yeah, we're such a different country than we were then. So uh, we've got to catch up. So, uh, Hansi, we want to thank you very much for joining us. And um, I'm just wondering, Barb, whether our next survey should be of census workers and how many of them are part of 23andMe and Ancestry.com. Uh, I think it would be kind of like a hobby for people who are in this business. Anyway, Hansi, thanks so much for joining us. I think you're now a three-peater um, on, on uh, our podcast, and uh, we certainly love to have a, a, a census expert to provide clarity on all these vital issues, of uh, which are sometimes under the radar, but are very, very important as you identified. So thanks a lot for joining us.
3: You're very welcome.
2: Turning to the fun fact, this one is actually a contemporary fun fact. It's not, we didn't go digging deep into the background of the Roper Center and their archives. This is us, the Maris Poll, and we've been in the field just the uh, last couple of weeks. And uh, we have a question that's timely as could be. Uh, and the question is, Which event in February are you more excited about, the Super Bowl or Valentine's Day? Is your love of sports growing? Mm. Anyway, uh, so the question was that, and the answer was different than Fox News found in, uh, oh, 15 years ago or so. They found Valentine's Day edging out the Super Bowl. Uh, Now, 45% go for the Super Bowl. 38% go for Valentine's Day. And a full 16% say neither. And I may want to probe that in a little bit uh, because I think we have a naysayer neither amongst us. But uh, I'm clearly a Super Bowl person on this. Uh, but let's go around the horn. Uh, Ms. Carvalho, what do you got on this one?
1: Yeah, I always look forward
2: to the Super Bowl
1: and the commercials. Um, it's actually hard sometimes to decide whether uh, I get up and get something to eat or take a break during the commercials or during the uh or during the game. It's a, it's always a, it's always a tough decision there. But um yeah, I'm excited about the Super Bowl. Uh it's lots of food. It's lots of fun. I'm looking forward to uh watching Mahomes and even even the uh even the Philadelphia Eagles, although as a Giants fan, it's really, 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 really hard. To vote uh, to to support uh, to support them, yeah. but uh, I I may I may stick with our division because yeah it does that pur- empire
2: state that empire state color scheme thing is really uh, not playing well to uh, giant jet fans uh in the new york area mary yes the um the the, you, um, the, uh, on, the uh, um
1: the uh empire state building was uh trying to be uh supportive of our other new northeast partner here yeah, and, uh, so uh, and uh and they uh they lit up they lit up in uh in green for the e for the eagles when they won the the championships
2: so not going to happen uh if the tables were reversed uh Mary Griffith, what do you got on this? Uh Super Bowl Valentine's Day. I think you're going both seats on this. I, I think I know why. Nope.
1: I am not. Super Bowl is the touchdown for me. Uh hands down, I'm a Super Bowl fan. Um I think what you're referring to, Lee, is that I met my husband at a Super Bowl party 14 years ago. So that just shows that I look forward to the Super Bowl every year. Um, uh, Valentine's but it can, Day, is,
2: But it can spawn Valentine's Day of the future, apparently. It,
1: it, it can, but to me, Valentine's Day beyond the chocolate is really, if you need a day, just one day to show somebody you love them, then something's just not right. But for me, Super Bowl is about the food. It's about family. It's about having a good time. And this segment reminds me that I need to put in my Super Bowl food package order um, sooner rather than later. So why don't we bring in Athens? our uh, producer, a line producer. Athens Super Bowl or Valentine's Day? Um, I think I'd say both. Um, I'd Super Bowl personally, I usually just watch it for the halftime show and the commercials. But <laughs> Valentine's Day I also like. I like when everything's heart-shaped and I like that the candy is half off the next day. So personally I'd say both.
2: Have you Love stopped it. buying? Uh, have you stopped buying Christmas decorations uh, yeah, at this point now that they're ninety percent discounted? <laughs> okay,
1: Jay. So uh, Jay, we're, we're uh, outing you. We're outing you, Jay. You're you're um, so Athens of both. You're Bah I'm a humbug.
0: Yeah, Athens of yeah. both. I'm in neither. I haven't watched a Super Bowl in twenty or thirty years. I couldn't care less. I don't care about commercials. In fact, I kind of hate advertising, so I don't want to watch that. And the halftime show, I watch on YouTube. Uh, and nowadays, it would be more like on Twitter or, tw- or you know, like TikTok. Um, Valentine's Day, much to my husband's regret, I am—I just am not particularly romantic on a day that seems designed by the Hallmark Company to get us to be romantic. So, yeah, I'm a neither. I am a definite Baja but neither.
2: So, <laughs> no, I think we've got Super Bowlers, uh, we've got bothers, we've got neithers. Uh, I don't think we got a a Valentine's Day and no Super Bowl at all. Uh, so uh, that one's missing. the. And there's a lot of people in the country, 38%, who think that. And I do think it's interesting. The numbers for the Super Bowl have been growing uh, over time because I think they've introduced over the last, oh, I don't know, 10, 20 years, the idea of the, the commercials, maybe even longer, but the halftime show. And, you know, if you don't like the game and the matchup, you know, you've got the other parts to do, to, to look forward to, but um, yeah. So uh, good luck to um, I'm going Kansas city because of the giant Eagle rivalry. Uh, it's hard for me to read for an AFC team, but that's where I am. Uh, I'm not convinced they're going to win, but I'll say it's Kansas city and, uh, and, and a box of chocolate somewhere going to be showing up around here too.
1: I'm just i I'm just an NF, NFC loyalist. So nice. uh, go eat, go Eagles. Ooh, Mahomes, ooh. Mahomes, Mahomes people Come on, gotta go for Kansas City That'll do it for Poll Hub this week
3: Poll Hub is produced by the Maris Pola at Maris College in Vakipsi, New York
1: Mary Griffith is our executive producer Casey Schaff is our production supervisor
2: The Poll Hub team includes Athan Hollis and Will Promozel. If you enjoy Poll Hub please consider leaving a review Positive reviews help other listeners like you find us.
1: If you'd like to learn more about polling and survey science, check out the Marist Poll Academy, our free online learning portal accessible from our website. If you have questions for us, tweet them directly to @MaristPoll.
0: Remember, you can always tell
2: your smart speaker to play poll up.
1: And with any luck, it will cooperate.
2: Finally, wherever you listen to Pull Up, there is a subscribe button. Click it, and the latest episode will be ready for you in your podcasting app as soon as it's released.
3: We'll, we'll see, see you
0: next time.